Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to this episode. Over the summer break, I was reading a book by Brene Brown called Dare to Lead. And as I did it, I jotted down some notes. And that forms the basis of this episode, which is a book review. So I'm just going to get straight into it. And I've asked my wife if she would read the quotes from Brene that I've included. So that's who you'll hear as well. And hopefully it will break up the sound of just me talking. So here's the book review of Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. The subtitle of this book is an indication of where it is headed. Brave work, tough conversations, whole hearts. I'm starting to write this review before I've even opened the book, because Brene Brown is one of those people I had already heard about before getting it. So a few words in advance about the context is important. From the various things I've heard with her in the form of podcasts, videos, and TEDx talks, it seems like she represents a new softening in the realm of business. I actually view this as one example of a real paradigm shift in our culture, which I've been observing in the last decade. It encompasses other shifts in the introduction of terms like impact investing, social enterprise, and balancing profit and purpose. Perhaps it coincides with my own shift, leaving behind a more corporate-focused role as a lawyer at the end of 2015 after stops in London, Tokyo, and Sydney in order to move to Christchurch. This has also resulted in a repositioning of my own legal career to look at more than just helping wealthy people accumulate more and a new focus on empowering people who want to affect positive change, whether that's through social enterprise, companies, or charities. At any rate, I'm grateful that there are voices like Brene who are raising deeper issues for us to think about than purely a focus on making more, buying more, and consuming more. This is more than just a book review, because it also sets out all my own personal reflections, learnings, and key points I noticed as I read Dare to Lead over the Christmas break. So these are my own notes to refer back to in the coming year. As an initial observation, I wonder if the people who need to read this book most will actually pick it up. I'll be recommending it, but those I know have read it are already quite in tune with the issues raised. Of course, a world-leading expert in vulnerability and shame risks coming across as aloof and above those other people who deal with such issues. Brene Brown's skill is to counter this by immediately opening up about her own struggles so you can identify with her from the start. The opening sentences tell us that she still gets nervous when speaking in public, yet she has one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. As an example of her storytelling style, she describes seeing what she thinks will be a tough audience and recognizes someone that makes her realize that they are all just people too. I gasped and pulled the curtain closed. I know that guy. We got sober at the same time and we used to go to the same AA meetings. This willingness to be open about her own weakness means the framing of what she has to say on vulnerability is positioned to be well received. She is one of us, a human with weakness and frailty. The other thing about her style is that she writes in a very down-to-earth and engaging way. It's very conversational, and you feel like you're just having a chat with her, rather than reading a textbook. As an example, If you're going to dare greatly, you're going to get your ass kicked at some point. If you choose courage, you will absolutely know failures, disappointment, setback, even heartbreak. That's why we call it courage. That's why it's so rare. So she counters the PhD by her name with this common-sense approach and down-to-earth way of explaining her research. This is her sixth book, so she is drawing on a lot of background material to write this, and she even says to readers of the other books, 
Expect some familiar lessons with new context. I haven't read them, but this felt like a rehashing of the earlier books, and she often quotes from them or cross-refers to the stories already having been given. I guess the plus side is that I didn't really feel like I needed to get copies of those books, because this one seems to be a statement of all that she has written about before, like a best-of album. So, what's covered? Well, the book itself is divided into four parts. While the first part is 166 pages, although that part has five sections, the rest average about 30 pages each. They are Part 1, Rumbling with Vulnerability, Part 2, Living into Our Values, Part 3, Braving Trust, Part 4, Learning to Rise. Each of those parts also represents the skill sets which allow courage building to occur and grow, and which she says can be taught, observed, and measured. So who's the book for? Well, it's about leadership, but I personally think that means it would be helpful for everyone. Are we all leaders? It depends how you think of that label. There's one person who you're in charge of leading, yourself. If more of us took responsibility for leading ourselves well, the one person we have control over, then that would have a big impact in our world. She says, I define a leader as anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes, and who has the courage to develop that potential. Part 1. Rumbling with Vulnerability the key points in part one relate to being willing to be vulnerable and can be summarized in this quote. Our ability to be daring leaders will never be greater than our capacity for vulnerability. Once we start to build vulnerability skill sets, we can start to develop the other skill sets. The rest of this part talks about how to make connections with others and gives examples of learning to be open enough to be vulnerable. For example, she notes, It turns out that trust is in fact earned in the smallest of moments. It is earned not through heroic deeds or even highly visible actions, but through paying attention, listening, and gestures of genuine care and connection. It's hard to summarize an entire book in examples as well as the myths she dispels about vulnerability, but she makes the point that Vulnerability for vulnerability's sake is not useful or smart. The examples she gives are based on her approach with what she calls grounded research, which observes real behavior and then draws out theories to test against other research that is already done. One of the things I enjoyed about the book was that it brought in echoes from other people. For example, in this section on being vulnerable, she notes the power of really listening to others and Stephen Covey's advice. Seek first to understand, then be understood. Another statement is the subject of a chapter about clarity with others. She says, Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. What this means is that if there has not been good communication between people and there are unclear expectations, then that lack of clarity will result in being unkind if you later hold people to a standard they didn't even know about. In just the last few days since first reading this, I've applied this in a few conversations, and I think it is something that I will be able to use in a number of different contexts. It's easy to think of all this as opening up too much and being too, quote, soft skills focused without tangible and immediate monetary results for a business. To counter this, in this section, I appreciated the observation about having a willingness to take on board these principles. Leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage inefficient and unproductive behavior. What this means is we must find the courage to get curious and possibly surface emotions and emotional experiences that people can't articulate or that might be happening outside their awareness. One of the key images that emerges from her work comes back to something that Theodore Roosevelt wrote a hundred years ago about being in the arena and not listening to those critics who are just observing on the sidelines. 
There's an earlier Short Seeds podcast episode on creativity and vulnerability where I mentioned that quote, which she often uses as a starting point for reflection. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. A few other observations that I thought were helpful from the rest of this section included the following. Firstly, on criticism. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of my life, I want to say I contributed more than I criticized. On valuing skills, I thought her observation that we often overlook our own strengths and take them for granted. But once you understand your own value, then you can stop hustling for worthiness and lean into our gifts. Leaders giving context for tasks is explained by the following quote. Rather than handing down black and white mandates stripped of story, they hold themselves responsible for adding texture and meaning to work and tying smaller tasks to the larger purpose. On being busy, this is sure one that I think we all need to hear and remember as we consider who it is that we're even trying to impress. We have to let go of exhaustion, busyness and productivity as status symbols and measures of self-worth. We are impressing no one. On gratitude, she writes that it's easy to forget to thank people and remember to be grateful, but observes, Embodying and practicing gratitude changes everything. Something as simple as starting or ending meetings with a gratitude check when everyone shares one thing they're grateful for can build trust and connection, serve as a container building, and give your group permission to lean into joy. On feelings, she writes, The vast majority of people I've interviewed are not comfortable in the world of emotions and nowhere close to fluent in the language of feelings. Emotional literacy, in my opinion, is as critical as having language. When we can't name and articulate what's happening to us emotionally, we cannot move through it. On empathy, she writes a lot and observes that it is at the heart of connection so that you can really feel what others feel and make sure that we all know that we are not alone. I also really appreciated this quote as I find it really hard to do. The trickiest barrier to empathy? Take a look in the mirror. Being kind and extending the hypothesis of generosity to ourselves when we mess up is the first step. Resisting the urge to punish or shame ourselves when we make mistakes is true mastery. On curiosity, I always appreciate observations from people about this because it has emerged as a key learning for me from doing Seed's podcast as the most powerful tool to really understand someone else's story. Curiosity is an act of vulnerability and courage. Researchers are finding evidence that curiosity is correlated with creativity, intelligence, improved learning and memory, and problem-solving. But curiosity is uncomfortable because it involves uncertainty and vulnerability. As a parent, I thought that this was helpful and a great reminder to be aware of what we praise. The more grounded confidence parents have, the more likely they are to prepare their child for the path by teaching courage, praising effort, and modeling grit versus trying to prepare a perfect path for their child by fixing, praising only results, and intervening. So that's a potpourri mix of the topics that are covered in that first section of the book, and as I said, it's the longest section by far. As a small comment, I'm not sure I really gelled with the term rumbling that she uses a lot, because it's used in the context of key sensitive issues that she says needs to be talked about openly. I get the point, it's just that I'm not sure that the phrase was the best one, because to me it's kind of a rough term, like wrestling that's aggressive. Sometimes dealing with those sensitive things will need to be dealt with gently, not just by rumbling. Part two is called living into our values. This next part really shifts gears and moves from talking about being open to vulnerability, empathy, curiosity, to living into our values. Here she suggests that you need to identify two core values, which then are the foundation for all your activity and work. Perhaps it was reading this in that period between Christmas and New Year, but I found it helpful to think in these terms when also considering goals for the next year. 
This quote really summarizes the essence of the focus on values. The daring leaders we interviewed were never empty-handed in the arena. They always carried with them clarity of values. This clarity is an essential support, a north star in times of darkness. Living into our values mean we do more than profess our values, we practice them, we walk our talk. We're clear about what we believe and hold important, and we take care that our intentions, words, thoughts and behaviours align with those beliefs. For me, in this part, I actually settled on three values, which is one more than she suggests, but I've always liked the power of three. So I chose the following, and I'd like to share them with you. The first is empowering positive change. For me, that's both my legal work and connecting people who can then help each other. This is outworked through organizing impact lunches and the upcoming Impact Unconference. Have a listen to an earlier episode on that. Number two for me is courage. That is, to stand up for what is right, including defining points that make me unique, like my beliefs, faith, and actively prioritizing my family over other pressures. Having the courage to stand up for those things is a key value. And finally, creativity. This takes many forms, and I think it infuses all that I'm attempting to do. Without it, things become drudgery, but I get energy from activities such as writing, doing Seeds podcasts, and finding solutions to problems. As one extra thing, I also think that retaining a lightness in what I do will be important as I live the values out. It's important not to get too serious. It's one thing to articulate those, but the real challenge, she says, is to lean in and live into them. The key is to identify the early warning signs that you are not living consistently with your values. This could take the form of not getting enough sleep, not eating well, not exercising, or forgetting to take time out. I'm sure we can all identify certain signs that are indicators for us. Taking on too much, confusing whose views actually matter, not getting to the gym, not feeling creativity has not any outlet, feeling resentment about doing something. Those are all big warning signs and factors for me. Writing this review is an example of living into my values because it took time to read the book, which involved carving out space and learning, being challenged, and then using creativity to write this and then share it with others on the podcast. So it's a great example of living out my values. She comments on the difficulty of actually doing all this. I used to believe that we would always know that we were in our values when the decision comes easily. But I've learned as a leader that it's actually the opposite. I know I'm in my values when a decision is somewhere between tough and really tough. I shared that I was writing this review on social media for Seeds, and my friend Fiona Dehan from Cara Consulting commented on this aspect. Have read twice and got some new learning second time round. Probably the most powerful thing for myself has been the values work, narrowing it down to two and then defining behaviours that operationalise them and recognising when I'm not aligning with them. A recent reflection on 2019 and learnings has revealed that I needed to change one of the ones I'd originally chosen. These values act as a compass, a tangible navigational tool that I'm trying to integrate into my life as much as possible. The final thoughts in this part of the book discussed how to give and receive feedback, as well as the value of sharing what motivates us with our coworkers. Ultimately, the focus there is helping others live into the values they hold closest, which is the reason that's discussed in this part. The third part of the book talks about braving trust. So this is quite a short part, and it encourages people to maintain and build trust between others in organizations by using the acronym BRAVING, which stands for the following. Boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, keeping things confidential, integrity, non-judgment, generosity. There's a lot written about each of these, but I thought one quote gave a good example of the type of issue that's being raised. 
When it comes to people who do not habitually ask for help, the leaders we polled explained that they would not delegate important work to them because the leaders did not trust that they would raise their hands and ask for help. Mind blown. When we refuse to ask for help, we will find that we are getting the same projects that leaders know we can do. We will not be given anything that might stretch our capacity or skill set because they don't believe we will ask for help if we find ourselves in over our heads. The message echoes what the book started with on trust. Trust is the stacking of small moments over time, something that cannot be summoned with a command. The final part four was called Learning to Rise. Perhaps I was a bit tired, but by the time I got to this final fourth part, it felt like the book had started to turn into a lot of great lists for ways to improve in different areas. It felt like some of the content might be better as standalone books, and perhaps that's how some of it started, because this really is a best of, drawing on a lot from the earlier books she's done. Having said that, I was ready to close it out well, and in this final part, we were left with some challenges. The theme here is learning to rise, and she explains, If we don't have the skills to get back up, we may not risk falling. She goes on to make the point that if we are brave, then we will fail, so we need to have the ability to get back up, to rise. In order to deal with the hard times, she suggests you need to grapple with them, and to do that, she talks about articulating... The story I'm making up is... And then you express what you're feeling. By doing that, you can go deeper to understand what you're really feeling and why you're responding the way you are. Ultimately, the point is this. When we have the courage to walk into our story and own it, we get to write the ending. And when we don't own our stories of failure, setbacks and hurt, they own us. One of the final parts of the book that I really liked was this quote. We fail the minute we let someone else define success for us. I spent too many years taking on projects and even positions just to prove I could do it. I was driven by a definition of success that didn't reflect who I am, what I want, or what brings me joy. She then urges us to think about what actually brings us that joy, as it will be different for each of us. I think this is really key, as sometimes it is easy to get distracted and work longer and longer in order to earn those times of joy on holiday or with our family, when in fact, maybe it was there all along and we missed what we were actually seeking. So in conclusion, I think this book was able to set out clearly some principles which have been at the back of my mind, but I've never really articulated. And perhaps that is what the best books do, show us something about ourselves that's been there all along. I have a feeling that the people who most need to read this book might not be in the mindset or be willing to pick it up, but I'm glad that I did, and I encourage you to read it too. As a final point, my friend Kyla Colburn, who founded BOMA New Zealand, has been trained to be an instructor by Brene, and she has run several courses on Dare to Lead across New Zealand. If this review has piqued your interest, you should definitely check that out too. While I haven't done the courses, I know several people who have, and they have recommended it to me, including Camilla, Fiona, and Erica. So I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Thanks for listening to the end of this review. If you found it helpful, then perhaps you'd consider sharing it on social media or with other people who you think would benefit. Until next time.